This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, we're talking about uh, consumer proposal and the misconceptions. There's some myths about them. Stuff. I mean, this for some people, this is a brand new concept. Yeah. For a lot of folks, right? Yeah, it I is think a brand new concept. The majority of folks that I sit down with, they've never heard the term before, or maybe they've heard it, but they don't know what it means. You know, I went to business school. I worked in you know one of the biggest accounting firms in, in the country here, and I hadn't heard about a consumer proposal until about five years into practice when just, you know, by chance, I saw, you know, a professional article explaining it. So, you know, if professional folks who are in finance don't know about consumer proposals, the odds are individuals don't know much or anything anything about them at all. Right. All right. Well, let's sort of run through some of these myths and hopefully we'll we'll be able to answer uh, a whole bunch of questions or, or concerns or, or queries that you may have about them. First of all, consumer proposals, lengthy and costly. Yeah, so let, let's talk first, you know, just level set, what is a consumer proposal? Sure, okay. and, and what a consumer proposal is, is it's meant to be a compromise. So it's meant to be a win-win between you and the people that you owe money to. So what happens when you make a consumer proposal, and you can only do this through a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, is we have to figure out what can you reasonably afford to repay on your debts, right. okay? Because in a perfect world, your creditors want 100% of their money, and they want all the interest on top of that every single month until it's paid off, okay? And that's what we're sort of... Oh, yeah. We're told, right? I mean, if you go into debt, you owe somebody this, that's what you got to pay them back, yeah. plus whatever interest you've agreed to. So most people think, just as you said, Elaine, there's no option here. Right. And the consumer proposal is your option. So exactly. it's your option to say, you know what? I can't afford to pay all this back, and I definitely can't afford to pay it back at 18% interest. So the way a proposal works is we figure out, working with a trustee ourselves, what can you afford to pay back? Usually it's about 30% of the debt. So not 100% or even close to it. Usually it's about 30%. And it's with no further costs, no further interest charges, nothing like that. And you pay it off over a period of time up to three to five years. So the first myth that a consumer proposal is lengthy and costly couldn't be more untrue. The lengthy and costly thing is to continue to pay the interest every month and never pay the debts off. Um, By law, a consumer proposal can only cost as much as you can afford. And obviously, if you can't afford to do a consumer proposal, if you owe a million dollars and you can't pay back a third of that, well, we get that. This isn't an option for you. But quite often, a consumer proposal is what you can afford, so it's not costly. And the length by law, the maximum term is five years. So we're not talking the never-never plan here. And many people, they're able to pay off their proposals much sooner than five years. Our average duration is about three and a half, four years on a proposal. Okay. Um, they don't, and, and let's define what a government debt is first, mm-hmm. and then I'll ask, and then I'll give you the myth, and then you can dispel it. Yeah, so a government debt is anything you owe to the lovely folks who make this country a great place it is to live in. So things like student loans, um, income tax, you know, EI overpayments, perhaps, um, you know, some social benefit overpayments could be, but for the most part, it's income taxes and it's student loans. Okay. 
consumer proposals don't cover those kinds of debts. That's that's the myth that mm-hmm. we want to dispel. Yeah, and Elaine, the number of folks I have who I'm sitting down and maybe I'm 40 minutes into a consultation, I think I've worked at a solution here, and then you know towards the end of the meeting they say, oh, and I also owe the government you know twenty or thirty thousand dollars, but I know nobody can ever reduce government debt. There's nothing you guys can do with that. And I say, nope, absolutely. We could do it six ways to Sunday. I can reduce government debt the same as every single other debt. I think it's really important to repeat that because yeah. it's shocking to me. I remember when I heard that for the first time, especially like, you know, Canada Revenue. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. You think, you know, that, that you're just done for, that you owe this, you owe this, you owe this, and the interest and whatever it is they tell you, you have to pay, you have to pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every day I meet with folks who they've got, you know, an assessment from Canada Revenue Agency, Maybe it's valid, maybe it's not accurate or not. They could take 10 years and try to fight it in tax court, and the government can afford far greater lawyers than anyone of us could afford. Right. Um, Or they can figure out that a consumer proposal takes away any special status for government debt. If you owe Visa $10,000 and you owe the government $10,000, they are treated exactly the same. The government doesn't get more of a vote on your proposal. They don't get the right to veto your proposal. If everybody else you owe money to is saying yes on the proposal, quite often the government is dragged along for the ride and they can't say no. Now, did you mention the percentage when you have a whole series of creditors out mm-hmm. there, uh, what percentage is needed for this to be approved? Right. And that, that's hugely important. So we don't need everybody to agree. So if you're trying to do something informally, if you're trying to say, hey, you know what, I can do this proposal thing myself. I'm going to phone up everybody that I owe money to. I'm going to say, hey, charge me no further interest and let me pay back 30%. I say, yeah, you can try it. But what if somebody, you know, if you've got 10 creditors, what if one of them won't play ball? You haven't solved your problem because that one creditor can still sue you, can still harass you, can do all these things to you. The great, the beauty of a proposal is the law is structured that everybody wants this deal to get done. So all we need is 50% by dollar value, not a majority in number, just 50% by dollar value. So if you owed $20,000, as soon as I get $10,000 of that debt on side on the proposal, the proposal is automatically approved. The other 49% who may not like the proposal it's too bad, so sad. This is the way the law is structured and the individual has the right to make a deal with at least 50% of the dollar value. Really important piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, Consumer proposals are the same as credit counseling. Yeah. Yeah, not really. No, it's a really murky situation, right? If you see somebody advertising, you know, quite often they would say, you know, we're a not-for-profit charitable service. We're out, you know, in the community. We're a credit counselor. Come and see us before you'd see a trustee, okay? And not to say don't go and get advice from everybody out there, but make sure that you include a trustee um, basically in your, you know, sphere of people that you're going to talk to because only a trustee can do a consumer proposal. And a consumer proposal is night and day different to what a credit counselor can do do for you. What a credit counselor can do because they don't have the ability to use the law. So only a trustee can do a consumer proposal because that's basically in federal law. That's the role that can do it. If you're working with a credit counselor, individually, they'll go and try to make deals to freeze interest, but that's it. They can't reduce your debt. They can't bring you down to, you know, the 30% repayment, no interest, no charges, give you time to pay. Only a trustee can do that. So what a credit counselor will normally do is what's called a debt management plan. So it's kind of debt management plan versus a consumer proposal. Two big differences, and these are incredibly important to note. One is in a debt management plan, you have to pay back everything. 100% of the debt, maybe a freeze on interest, but that's it. Compared to a consumer proposal, often 30% repayment or thereabouts. 
The other big, really important thing is everyone's very concerned about their credit rating impact. And you would think if you do a credit counseling plan and you pay back everything, your credit report is going to be better than if you did a consumer proposal and you only paid back a third. You would be wrong. They're exactly the same. Exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no, there's, there is no advantage. I can see no advantage at this point. I can see no advantage either. Okay. So I would say to folks that, you know, with full information, if you are you know more than capable of paying back all the debts and you just need an interest freeze, that's when credit counseling can make sense for you. But keep in mind, if you go and see a credit counselor, they want to sell you a debt management plan. They might not make a proposal sound attractive. They might tell you things like, you know, there's upfront fees or different things like that. Definitely do your own research. Talk to a trustee. Almost every case when I've explained that to someone, they said, well, why would I ever choose this? And I said, well, yeah, you probably wouldn't. All you needed was the right information. Now, since you brought it up, let's just cover off the fee structure too, because I think that's a really important piece of this because mm-hmm. folks listen and they go, oh, sounds too good to be true. If something yeah. sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But in fact, let's talk about the fee. So mm-hmm. I've come to you, I've got this huge debt. We do a consumer proposal. I've got it all figured out that uh, over the next two and a half or three and a half years, I yep. can pay off my big debt with a small amount or, or with a manageable amount of money right. I'm going to pay each month. How do you get paid? Right. So do I charge you anything extra? No, is the answer. So everything a trustee does, as I said, it's all governed by law. And when you file a consumer proposal, um, the trustee has to send that proposal out for voting. And almost always it gets accepted. So generally at the time of filing the proposal, you make the first month's payment. So if the proposal, most proposals are, you know, two to $400 a month, something like that, you'd make a payment of two to $400 or so. And then the trustee would send the proposal out to make sure it's approved. So essentially we ask you, if you say you can make this monthly payment, you know, on a five-year basis to pay this off, make it once and we'll do the proposal for you. That That's it. No big upfront fees. If you hear somebody say a trustee won't even look at you until you pay $1,500, it's a lie, plain, or sim- plain and simple. We've never done that in 27 years of practice. And because you're not allowed to. Right. right. The law governs what you can charge. Oh, yeah. The law governs what you can charge. Trustees have some discretion, you know, to charge less, but could never charge more. Right. So, you know, even in my situations, if someone, you know, they've just had their wages seized. I had someone this morning, you know, had about $10 in the bank. They're in a very tough situation. I'm filing the proposal with no payment. I'm saying, you know what, we're going to get this thing approved. You're going to get paid in two weeks from now. Just pay me then. It'll all true up in the end. The person wants this proposal to work. I know they're going to pay it off in the end. So we will take a risk with the client as well. We'll take you know, one payment or even zero payments just to make sure we get a deal. Right. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, same as bankruptcy, consumer proposals, What can we outline the differences? Yeah. So they're both governed under federal law. They're both administered by trustees, but that's essentially where a lot of the similarities end. So first off, a consumer proposal is not a bankruptcy. So, you know, if you've ever been asked on a credit application or, you know, a rental application, have you ever filed for bankruptcy? If you file a consumer proposal, you can say no to that question every day of the week and and be accurate. So not a bankruptcy. It does impact your credit, but it's not as severe as what a bankruptcy would be. Again, it's the same as if you did a credit counseling plan and paid everything off, but you got a break on the interest. You're making a negotiated reduced payment arrangement. So not great for your credit, but something you can absolutely recover for. Many people, even while they're still in the proposal, they find themselves getting offers. If you know credit cards, secured credit cards, things like that, you'll rebuild quicker than what you think. 
Right, and that answers this, the uh, the next myth that consumer proposals ruin your credit permanently. That's mm-hmm. just not the case. Absolutely not the case. What ruins your credit permanently is if you don't deal with the issue. If all you're doing is paying minimums forever, you know, you might have a fine credit rating, but what's that ever going to do for you? You know, most of the time people want to get a mortgage, and if you can't save a down payment because all your money is going to interest each month, well, then your credit rating isn't doing a whole lot for you. I'd like you to sort of toot your own horn for just a minute as we wrap this up. Um, it's not just uh, the consumer proposal plan and and focus and that that you that you have with your clients when they walk in the door. They get a little bit more than that too. Mm-hmm. Can we just talk about that as we wrap this up? Yeah, what I, what I'm proud about at Sands and Associates is we treat everybody with respect, with dignity, with empathy. We know that any of us could be on the other side of the table. They're having a debt problem that they need help with. So you know, we try to solve as much of the problem as we can. You know, finances are sometimes just one piece of a bigger issue, but you can guarantee that you'll feel respected. You'll feel validated. You won't feel judged when you come in to talk about a proposal. And if it's not the right option for you, you know, by law, I have to tell you that, hey, I don't think this is the right option for you. Here's some other resources that you can connect with. Um, Generally, people have a great experience in our consultations. That's great. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin. You've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get a financial fresh start. Uh, Easy to get a free consultation in any of their offices. 1-800-661-3030 is the number and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Blair, we're going to talk about the impact of a person being in debt and the impact that that has on your spouse or your partner. Right. And I've got to think right off the bat, it's significant, I guess, emotionally, Mm -hmm. but not so much when it comes to sort of the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, and that's a good way to say it, Elaine, is I think, you know, people assume that if you marry somebody or you become common law, you cohabitated for a couple of years, people assume that that suddenly means that, you know, you've married that person's debt. You owe the same amount that they owe, and if they don't pay, you've got to be on the hook. So I've sat down with couples a lot in, in my role at Sands and & Associates, and I've often wished, hey, I wish you guys came to me six months ago before you did X, Y, and Z, because quite often they're very surprised to figure out that actually couples' finances, even if they're married, are still quite separate and sometimes the right decision is not for one partner to pay off the other person's debt it's for both partners to investigate the solutions that will work out best for them and quite often that's the better way collectively to go forward yeah I think that's a really significant myth because I I wouldn't have guessed that I would have said oh no if I'm marrying you what yours is you know yours is mine and mine is yours and that includes debt yeah. And, you know, there's with everything, there's an element of, of some truth in, in the myth. And, you know, if, God forbid, if you marry somebody and the marriage goes south and you have to divorce, 
then yes, debts that you've incurred collectively, even if it's in one person's name, because it was incurred as part of the marriage, it's known as, you know, basically a family debt and that type of a debt, you know, could be split. So if I was divorcing from my spouse, my spouse might say, well, I've got, you know, $10,000 in debt to RBC just in my name. I hold you accountable for 5000 of that and the law would support that. Got it. But that's only on divorce or dissolution. Um, absent any of that, if I owe money to Royal Bank, Royal Bank can't come to my spouse and try to collect. They can't attach to any assets of my spouse. They can't even call my spouse and make them aware of that debt. It's a contractual relationship between me and Royal Bank. And it's not Royal, or whichever bank, not beating up a Royal. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's not, it's not the bank's business that I've right. suddenly gotten married or cohabitated or anything like that. The contractual relationship has not changed. That's interesting. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was this uh, poll mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Ontario that says a significant number of relationships face debt challenges from the very start. Right. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, and, and what the poll also showed is that if you don't discuss it, if you got a challenge and each person just puts their head in the sand, well, then what's more likely is you're both going to go further into debt rather than collectively work together and get yourselves out of debt so that you can, you know, begin to build wealth and buy assets and things like that. So um, most people are starting with debt problems, yes, but the communication is really what makes the difference is are you going to, you know, I, I've suggested widely, we've done blog posts about this, that, you know, maybe not the first or second date, but one of the, the dates before you start to live together you should bring your credit report and yeah. you should get your, your partner to do the same and <laughs> you'll have a great so time. Ro- I know. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> oh yeah, get the, get the wine stains on it. No, uh, but it, I think it's really important to be that transparent just to, to let somebody know, you know, here's what I'm facing or, or what I'm not facing because the way that you make decisions as a couple could be completely different. And again, definitely if one person has no debt and somebody's got a bunch of debt, the right answer is usually not that the person with no debt suddenly pays off the other person's debt. Usually there's a much better alternatives to that. But it is more of a moral obligation versus a legal obligation for me to tell Joe Blow, who I'm thinking of getting married to, mm-hmm. that I owe $100,000, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no legal obligation because you owing that money, again, getting married doesn't suddenly make Joe owe that money. Got it. But yeah, and the idea of, you know, more communication is better better than less. Um, yeah, I, I would encourage couples to be very open in the early stages of the relationship. And again, a great tool to do that is to just get the credit reports, sit them down in front of each other, and then just see what you've got there. Because quite often, this is a, a good spinoff, is quite often um, credit reports aren't accurate. You know, whether there's identity theft or things like that, you might find addresses you've never lived at, accounts you've never had open that are actually dragging down your credit score. And if you both sit there and you're looking at them, you can say, okay, I'm going to clean this up, you clean that up. And then that can be part of you guys planning on how you're going to have a financial future together. Can you can you explain to us how, how, uh, how a credit rating even gets uh, built yep. if it's if they could be so inaccurate at yeah. the same time. So there, you know, it's the old adage of garbage in, garbage out. So credit rating is only as good as the information that's fed to it, and you can just imagine, you know close to 30 million uh, citizens in in Canada. Um, A big subset of those have credit reports and each person's credit report. There's information about their employment, their addresses, every account, every payment. Um, It's not atypical to find that just something gets reported incorrectly. And over time, it could be many things reported incorrectly. So everybody in Canada has the right to get their credit report once a year for free from each of the bureaus. I do it every year. And again, I'm amazed at some of the things that come up there. And, you know, my name is often misspelled as Martin. So I think, you know, sometimes they put in Martin and someone else, and then suddenly that gets into my bureau. You know, if you've got a common last name and a somewhat common first name, quite often you'll find that things are in your bureau where they might not be. Oh, that's interesting. And they might, you know, the time 
time to clear this up is not when you've applied for the mortgage and the bank's got your credit report right up in front. That's too late because this stuff can take some time. Right. So a good spinoff to being open with your, your partner is, yeah, you'll actually clean up your credit at the same time if there are any inaccuracies there. That's interesting because I don't think I've ever seen my credit rating card mm-hmm. or, you know, my information about me. Yeah. So it'd be interesting it's if, if, if scary, you pull it, actually. you tell me if it's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to figure. I'm going to figure that out. See if it is. Yeah. Uh, so, if a married person is filing a personal bankruptcy, um, you've sort of answered this already. Uh, their spouse isn't bankrupt. Right. Right. Yeah. So absolutely, their spouse is not bankrupt. So somebody can go through a bankruptcy, and it doesn't bankrupt the entire couple or the entire household or anything like that. Um, so you know, quite often, if it's a husband and wife situation, and you know, the wife might have a student loan from you know twenty years ago, and now she's not working, she could do a bankruptcy. She might be considered low income, and the bankruptcy might be over in, in nine months. Whereas comparing the household, if they decided, okay, we want to pay this off together, you know, if it was a big student loan, that could take years and years um, of income from the family, but not income specifically from the wife if her income is low. So in those situations, again, it could be a better a better choice for one partner to deal with their debts and the other person not to contribute by trying to pay off those debts. That's really good information. Now, there are a couple situations where, yeah, if your spouse owes something, you may still owe it, um, but generally you have to be deliberate in those. And one would be if you've co-signed. So be very, very, very careful. If you're ever asked to co-sign mm. something, accept that you are signing to be responsible for 100% of the debt. And so just be aware you're giving another pocket to dip into that your creditors would not otherwise have. So co-signing everything that your your spouse automatically owes, I wouldn't do that. I would really go on a case-by-case basis. Why am I required to co-sign? In usual um, situations, it won't be to your benefit to be a co-signer. So that's really important. But another one, and this one is a little bit insidious, is if you get a supplementary card um, for a credit card that your spouse has. If you, you know, banks are always offering this, you know, just get your spouse a, a supplementary card. Yes. It can be a bit of a gray area, but I've seen individuals held accountable if they've got a supplementary card and they've used it, even if it's not their account, they're just an extra card holder on them. They've suddenly made it a little bit more gray that they might start to owe that, that oh, money. Oh, that's really interesting. And because credit card companies, God bless them, mm-hmm. love to hand out credit cards. Oh, yeah. And they don't, and you really don't have to be of any financial means or substance in order to get one. Right. So an easy test is if your name is on the statement, if both partners' names are on the statement, that's usually a good indication. They would try to collect from both. If it's one person's name, keep it that way. Don't get the supplementary card. Don't co-sign. Just keep all the debt problems localized to whoever brought them to the relationship. Okay. And in, and in wrapping up, what if uh, the person opts to file a con- consumer proposal? How does that impact my spouse? In it, 30 seconds. It probably. generally doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. In, in three seconds. No, it, it's very, very straightforward. So if one person's got a debt problem, they file a consumer proposal, it just makes the household better off because now that person's debt payments aren't $1,000 a month, they're probably $200 a month, and then suddenly you're better off. Excellent. If you have more questions or want more information, check out uh, Sands & Associates, their website, sands-trustee.com, or you can call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website sands-trustee.com for more information.
You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We have Justin Anderson on the phone uh, with us right now from Aller Homes. And uh, I found this, before, I, before we start chatting, Justin, I found this statistic uh, that I was looking up about home renovations in this country. And it said in 2015, for example, Canadians spend more, spent more than $71 billion on home improvement costs, which is about an average of $5,000 per household. And in 2017, that number is going to hit almost $73 billion. That was astounding to me. Yeah, it's uh, it's big numbers, and you know it's uh, definitely a booming economy. So it, it's good to see it, um, you know, especially with the market being so hot. But, yes. Uh, but yeah, it's it's good you know business to be in, um, and everyone you know wants to make sure their their assets are you know in shape for whenever they decide to to sell or move on. Justin's a partner with Aller Homes in Maple Ridge. He's tons of years of experience in the construction industry, uh, ranging from everything from uh, waterproofing, leaky condos, to specialized home renovations, uh, to custom homes, building customs, custom home, homes as well. So let's talk about that, that business, Justin, of, of home renovation. Um, Boy, oh boy, uh, with those kinds of numbers, seven, almost $73 billion expected in 2017, uh, that's the number one thing that people think about is the cost and then the stress that comes with that cost. Is that a, your experience as well? Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, a lot of clients, they, they reach out and they just they don't know where to go next, right? And uh, they're kind of looking for that uh, guided process. And a lot of contractors out there just, you know, don't have the time, right? So it's kind of go with us or don't. Mm. But uh, at Allaire Homes, we definitely like to make sure we, we help you every step of the way because uh, the knowledge is power and knowing what you're doing before you, you know, get into it definitely helps you out in the long run. Um, Justin, I wonder if you can tell me, what are the top couple, you know, two or three renovation product projects that you're seeing a lot right now in the lower mainland? Yeah, so, you know, we work with a lot of realtors and um, a lot of people, when they're looking to buy a new home or do a renovation, you know, it comes down to kitchens, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bathrooms, and obviously the common space. So family living room, uh, you know, kind of making those spaces bigger. So maybe an addition. Right. Um, so kind of the key spots in household. And are there certain average costs or budget that you, you might associate? Obviously, it depends on what those needs and those wants are. But, you know, from a ballpark benchmark point of view, what would you think? Yeah, you know, a lot of people, they, they start out with maybe, you know, a, a bathroom or two and, and kind of work their way up. But it, it could be anywhere from, you know, 50000 to to 100000 all depending on, you know, finishes and, uh, you know, just what their expectations are uh, included in that work. That's part of the deal, too. The, the uh, um, options that as a consumer we have for, like you say, finishes. But, oh, my gosh, for a kitchen or a bathroom, there's so many options these days. <laughs> exactly. Right? And, you know, really really being able to talk to somebody who's kind of sitting on that sa- you know, same side of the table, basically, and going through, you know, what those options are, right? And uh, is it just something that everybody's buying up right now so the price is up higher, or is it something that you could get value out of, right? And you know, especially if you're going to build a home to live in for, you know, the next 10 years, or maybe it's just an investment for the next two to three. So it's uh, it's a lot of, you know, process, 
discovering stage before you even enter into, you know, ripping down walls. And you're also dealing with uh, not fashion as as much as trends, because I'm sure there's a hot kitchen trend right now that you're very well aware of, or a bathroom trend. Uh, and it's, I, can, I would think it would be hard to manage those as well, those expectations that folks have coming in the door. Oh, for sure. And that's why we like to really meet our clients at their home. Uh, you know, sit down in their kitchen, sit down in the space that they're talking about, even just seeing how they kind of uh, describe things and talk about it. We can really pick up exactly what they're actually wanting compared to just what, you know, they saw in a magazine, right? So it doesn't make sense for them to get it, or is it just something that in the long run they're going to regret making that decision? So there's a lot of counseling of clients as as you go through, right? Trying to guide them towards what what would be something that will make them happy in the long term, even if they may not see it in the short term. I imagine. Oh, very yeah. much so. You know. <laughs> now, now, Justin, just on, on those uh, projects we were talking about, you know, you gave a bit of a ballpark of, of cost there, but you know, we often hear of you know there are costs I didn't plan for or things you know I should have thought about and I didn't this. Are there some key costs, hidden costs, things that you know continually come up that people really need to build into their budget for a home renovation? Yeah, of course. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they kind of, uh, you know, look online and go through, you know, what other people suggest. Uh, We always love when people reach out to us because we have a guide that kind of asks those questions that you should be asking your contractor um, and just being aware of. And, you know, some of those can just be as easy as markup. You know, uh, if you do fixed price or cost plus, there's benefit to both. And a lot of people uh, just don't know what those benefits are, right? And, if there's a hidden markup in there and it's not being transparent, you could be paying, uh, you know, a lot more than what you expect. Um, you know, another big thing in, in BC, you know, all over really is uh, asbestos as well, right? Mm-hmm. You can get into basically doing a renovation, uh, get a cost for, you know, building everything new and not realize until they test the drywall that there is asbestos. And that could add up, you know, $10,000 onto your renovation uh, job. Yeah, it's a that's a big deal. We uh, we had to deal with that once, mm. and uh, yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> huge project to get rid of drywall or ceilings or wherever it happens to be, uh, and and it's a costly one as well. Oh yeah, it could change your mindset on on what you want to do right there, right? So having those answers before you kind of step into the next uh, you know design state, it's always a good thing to have the right guy there who can help you through that process. So. Now, Aller Homes is uh, based in Maple Ridge. I'm going to assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that you that you just don't work in Maple Ridge, but you you venture out. Yeah, so we kind of have a unique uh, unique way of approaching it now because uh, we actually start out in Nanaimo, BC. Uh, we're actually a franchise model. Okay. So, uh, a lot of people, you know, think franchise, and and they have their own thoughts on it, but. What it does is it puts a network of contractors together that are looking for a better way of doing things. And we've all come together to work on our software to make sure the clients are, you know, get be taken care of and get the same service no matter where they go. So in the lower mainland, we have about 12 offices, um, you know, ranging from basically Squamish, uh, downtown Vancouver, and, you know, to Maple Ridge and Chilliwack as well. So there's definitely local contractors in your area that can help you out. Um, and because we are so, uh, you know, large in the area, we usually get a lot of better buying power as well. So, you know, it's a lot of knowledge and, and wealth of knowledge uh, that can definitely help the client out going with us. 
uh, as well as we're across uh, North America and down into the States now. Something to keep in mind, and it brings to mind, too, when we're talking about those hidden costs, uh, in every area, depending on where you are in the lower mainland or on the island or in the interior, uh, the cost of permits for uh, building and removing uh, the trash. We touched on the asbestos aspect, but it's it's just not that, right? I mean, there's lots of trash involved uh, when you're doing a renovation. So those, so th- that's another hidden cost or a cost that folks need to be aware of. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of those costs can be offset by even just, uh, you know, reaching out to some of our local people that'll take donations, right? And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people, uh, Habitat for Humanity now even comes and does pickups. So there's a lot of other things to think of. And, you know, other contractors just don't have that time. Uh, but we'd like to make sure we're trying to go for a, a greener community for the future. Now, Justin, we often on, on this show, we talk about, you know, how debt resolution is something is, you know, you got to talk to a professional, don't try to do it yourself, you're probably not going to get good results. Um, I wonder in your um, industry, you know, are there certain things where, you know, DIY, do it yourself is the wrong decision here? Some things, if you're contemplating this type of a renovation, you better get a professional involved, or you're going to pay more later? Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of people, you know, we live in a time where they, it costs a lot to do something. So they, you know, they look on YouTube and say, hey, I can do that myself, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes when it comes down to, you know, even plumbing or electrical, you know, it could actually risk your family. And, uh, you know, when you look and, and weigh that to the end, it's just not worth that risk. Um, but, yeah, basically, you know, if, if you're looking at doing, you know, maybe your flooring or, uh, you know, painting or a lot of people nowadays just changing the hardware on your doors or, or in your kitchen cabinets, right, it, those kind of jobs definitely can be maintained. And, and sometimes we break down those costs for the clients. And if they mm. say, hey, you know what, I can take that on. We'll give them a little bit of guidance, help them out, uh, and let them take that on themselves. What about I, uh, the uh, thoughts or advice for folks uh, reaching out to contractors? I mean, do you guys do all of that work? And can you help with that? Yeah, so we have a we have a lot in house, but at the same time, we use a lot of sub trades based on you know what our clients' tastes are. So uh, from day one, you know, a lot of people say, "Hey, I'm looking for a designer. I'll phone you after." Really, we're probably the best guys to call right off the bat because we'll kind of give you the the mindset of what you're going to be looking at. Uh, we'll give you the guides, and then we can kind of pull you in a direction if you you know need to speak to a mortgage specialist or if you need to talk to a, a specific designer. Uh, even an architect or a draftsman. So, uh, you know, we definitely um, provide all those services and, and we can, or we can point you in the right direction. So, What are the kinds of points or, you know, the top three things that folks need to think about bef- uh, before reaching out, let's say to a designer, because I know that's very sort of en vogue to do is get a designer now for these renovations. Uh, what are the kinds of things that we need to pay attention to? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of, uh, subtrades out there too like uh, if you're speaking about cabinetry right they have their own designers for cabinetry so uh, whether maybe we're doing a bathroom or a kitchen renovation uh, you kind of have an idea and we can kind of design off that and use you know cabinetry specialists flooring specialists to, to use those design uh, expertise or maybe in your case we should reach out to designer to kind of bring everything together Um, So really, each client's a little bit different. And, and, you know, that could be a huge cost savings in the end, right? So making sure knowing what you want, 
uh, as well as if a designer is even needed. Um, I know a lot of people too, you know, they always speak, I, I need an architect, I need an architect, and, you know, maybe just a draftsman is the best way to go. You Got know, it. there's a lot of different avenues to go down, and because, you know, construction's kind of a, a broken system lately, there's so many different ways to approach it. So that's where we want to make sure we sit down, realize what the client's needs are, and then we can kind of address that in the best direction. Great advice, Justin. Uh, Justin's website, to get a hold of him, allershomes.ca. That's A-L-A-I-R-H-O-M-E-S dot C-A. Thank you so much, Justin. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. On the line with us right now is Shannon Sims. Uh, Shannon's a professional member of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. She's a, a certified counselor designation. She has that. She works with folks uh, in mental health, with mental health and addiction issues, uh, as well as problem gambling uh, and a qualified insolvency counselor. So she works with Sands and Associates, helping folks uh, in the counseling sessions that they provide as part of their consumer proposals. Thanks so much for joining us, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Now, I, in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit about um, emotion, the emotion or the emotional causes and impacts of debts and sort of the correlation between the two. I would think that anything to do with debt and debt restructuring or even just facing debt has a huge emotional charge to it. Absolutely. I don't think it would be a surprise for anyone to hear there's a range of emotional impacts attached to debt. Can you talk about and, and sort of describe the range that, of folks that you deal with? Uh, well, in my experience, the range would typically go from stress and anxiety to depression and hopelessness to feelings of shame and guilt, feelings of failure um, or of not being a good provider not being able to pay our bills can threaten our sense of safety and security, and it can also chip away at our integrity and our pride. Can you give us uh, some examples of folks um, that you've worked with and sort of their story and how you've how you help them uh, turn it around a bit? Uh, well, sometimes I see people who have their spending habits have become problematic. Um, because it's been a way they have found that helps them escape the stresses of life for a while. Um, or sometimes it creates a feeling of excitement or being in control or feeling powerful in their life. So the spending actually becomes a form of medicating their emotions. Um, life transitions like an illness or a death, uh, loss of relationship, the feelings attached to that can oftentimes um, motivate people to find ways of soothing themselves that aren't always helpful. So, so people would, joke about retail therapy, but it, it's, <clears throat> it's a real thing. It's, it's not a joke. Absolutely. There are brain changes um, that occur over time as people engage in this behavior and find it has a soothing or calming effect on them, um, and it, they become highly motivated to continue to engage with it, even in spite of the consequences it's creating. 
can you can we can you talk about uh, the ways that we could if if this idea is uh, sounds familiar to uh, someone who might be listening? Uh, is there some things that we can do or that that person could do to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, what what do you do? Do you pause, rethink? I mean, sometimes we don't even get that option. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, eval- do you mean evaluating whether this is becoming a problem? Yeah. Or ways of reducing the harm? Both would be great, Shannon, because both of those sound really valuable to hear. So in terms of awareness, whether this is becoming a problem or not, time, energy, money, motivation, and consequences are the areas to be mindful of or curious about. Um, A sense of preoccupation. How much time do they spend thinking about, planning, preparing, engaging in the behavior, and then sometimes lying about or hiding the signs from loved ones or people they care about? Obviously, spending more than can be afforded, um, buying things that aren't needed, or losing track of time and money spent while engaged in the behavior can be red flags. Tracking emotional investment in the activity, if it's motivated by a desire to modify one's mood, either by creating positive feelings like excitement or distracting or escaping from negative feelings. And then a range of consequences are usually at play. This is more than just financial. So spending more than can be afforded is a big is a big piece of the puzzle. But consequences can also be relational. So other people in one's life have concerns about the behavior or it's impacting them in a negative way. Emotional consequences like the aftermath or hangover effect, that buyer's remorse, um, feeling guilty afterwards, or irritable if one can't engage in the behavior, and then social consequences. So if shopping or spending money is the only thing that people want to do, um, other forms of entertainment and socializing are kind of going by the wayside. Hmm. All right. Well, let's. Can we move then to the next piece of that? Is how do you? How does one manage those impulses? Those overspending impulses. Let's focus just on the overspending part. How do you? How do you manage that? I think there's a couple of pieces to be aware of. One of the main ones is awareness. So we can't change what we aren't aware of. Being able to map out a particular cycle of behavior. We tend to be creatures of habit. Um, So mapping out what was going on for us at the time the thoughts or the urge to shop or spend money entered my mind, identifying some of the triggers or the drivers for the behavior. For instance, um, boredom, conflict with somebody, frustration, or even positive triggers, wanting to continue celebrating or rewarding oneself. Another key is being able to buy ourselves time, so not letting the urge or the emotion run our show keeping our reasonable brain engaged, just like managing any other type of an urge. Nature of urges are they build like a wave over about 7 to 10 minutes. If we don't give in to it, it will reduce. So if we can find ways of distracting ourselves, buying ourselves time, putting it off for five minutes at a time, um, calling, texting a friend, singing along to a favorite song, pulling out a word search, things of that nature. Wow, a, that's amazing, Shannon. Seven to ten minutes. That that's, yeah. I've never heard that before. All right. So if you're quitting smoking or wanting to cut down on caffeine or sugar, that's the nature of an urge. Builds about ten to seven minutes. So if we can mm. resist it, 
it will reduce. All right, it's wow. not going to be there forever. Yeah, both, both Elaine and I, we, we looked, the jaws <laughs> dropped, and like, okay, that, that's something that we really want to focus on things our listeners can use, and I, I think that's huge, and I think even both of us will, will use that. So yeah. Yeah, you don't have to fight the battle all night, but if you can get through the first mm. seven to ten minutes, probably your brain's going to move on, right? Absolutely. And because those seven to 10 minutes can be pretty intense, uh, you know, when you're trying to uh, start a new behavior or or get rid of a bad behavior and and do something new when you really want, I know I'm just thinking about myself here, when I really want something, whatever it is, regardless of what it is, Mm -hmm. uh, it feels like, nope, nothing's going to get in my way of, of me getting that. That's right. So urges can be very uncomfortable, and there is a point of no return where if I don't, if I don't distract enough from it, eventually the brain chemistry will change, and I'm going to give in. Um, so that's the key: is just noticing when it's starting and how to, to distract yourself from it. Is there a couple of tips uh, to eat just to even just begin that process of? of noticing of that, just that beginning of awareness uh, to sort of not necessarily nip it in the bud, but just be aware that, oh, oh, that's what, that's what Shannon was talking about. This thing right now that I'm thinking about. Are there a couple of tips or, or, or ways to do that? Well, self-talk is, a, is an important factor. So just noticing what, what your brain is telling you, what the mm-hmm. stories are, what the stories are being told in the brain, as well as the body is a great uh, messenger. So just noticing the discomfort or the disease, the unease that comes up when people are starting to feel um, the urge occur. Urges occur in the body. So generally we will have thoughts that if we don't distract from, will create or contribute to an urge. Um, or sometimes the urge can be set off by a cue, like something in the environment. Um, so driving past the mall, hearing an ad on TV. So noticing in the body the discomfort that starts to come up and then noticing where your thoughts are taking you when it does, when it does happen and then being able to shift your thinking. Right. Yeah, ideally to be able to stop and, and then remember it's 10 to 7 minutes that that's how long that's going, it's going to feel that intense. Oh, such good information, Shannon. Thank you so much. For more information um, on how Shannon might be able to give you a hand, uh, www.simscounseling.com. Shannon's a professional member of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association, as well as a qualified insolvency counselor and uh, works uh, closely with Sands and Associates. Thank you so much for joining us today. For any information, uh, any more information, check the website. sands-trustee.com. Get a financial fresh start. Phone number 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.